Father, we are indeed a people who understand that as long as we are following in the shadow of that cross, the cross on which our Savior died, we are safe. We are a people who understand that our whole hope of redemption, our forgiveness and release, is as a result of that which was accomplished on that cross. And so, Heavenly Father, might our worship be pleasing to you. Might we have emblazoned in the forefronts of our minds that cross. Might Jesus Christ and Him crucified be the one on whom we focus all of our attention and discover new and fresh insights to his beauty. Lead on, O King Eternal. Whither thou goest, we're eager to follow. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of worship. It is indeed our joy, and we pray that as we make this tangible expression of that which means so much to us, our money, that you will hear in this giving that we are a people who understand that our financial future is safe in the hands of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And follow as I read the first 15 verses of Deuteronomy Ready? Deuteronomy 26, 1. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God, cho where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there. Few in number, and there he became a nation, a great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord, our Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. When you have finished laying aside all the tithes of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to, your, to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for unclean use, nor giving any, given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. 
Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given to us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that, ladies and gentlemen, that endures forever. I'm not sure I should tell you um, what I'm about to tell you because I, I'm afraid that my motives are a tad mixed in my telling it, but uh, I, I, I thought you might be interested to know that in the last four months, basically really around Christmas in January, there were four different people on four different occasions who came to me to rebuke me. And uh, that's never a pleasant experience, but they, uh, in different venues, they would say, sit down, I'd like to say something to you. They'd look across a, uh, you know, a fried chicken salad, and they'd say, Jimmy, I need to tell you something. And, of course, my, my blood pressure would go sky high, wondering, oh, my, what have I done now? Um, and they all four had the same message for me, and that is, um, Jimmy, you have failed this congregation because you have not taught them on the issue of giving. And they were right. I, I had taught other spiritual disciplines, but I had not taught that one. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that I haven't. This morning, I want to begin my repentance. And very honestly, uh, changing that in me is, a, is more difficult than you might be aware of. And you ask, but Jimmy, didn't we do that last week? Well, uh, well, sort of. Last week, I gave you some principles. I tried to give you a vision. I tried to lay a foundation, uh, the grounds of which I'd like to build on today. Because today, I'd like to give you the mechanics the how-tos of giving. Now, might I add, uh, or hasten to add, that apparently some of you have already been taught in this grace and discipline and stewardship of giving because um, we apparently have some or several generous people in this congregation because all of our bills have been paid and they've been paid over, um, over nine and a half years. But my role this morning is to teach the untaught. Um, and those of you who have already previously been taught can simply get, uh, hopefully, a reminder. The text this morning is, it, it, it excites me. I, I came upon it in my own devotional life, and I thought, what a, what a wonderful passage that we might teach or use as a didactic passage to teach this issue of giving. So what I want to do this morning is simply walk you through it. Um, my points are derived right out of this text, um, and, and, and perhaps... Uh, will be profitable and hopefully profitable to you. I've got 11, 11 observations or 11 lessons, however you want to call it, but 11 things that I would like to draw to your attention to as we look at this discipline, this grace of giving. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, I think it's clear that this address is made, this is a, this is a message, it is addressed to God's people. The first thing I want to point out is giving is indeed a family affair. And, and if you are a part of the family of God, ladies and gentlemen, this is addressed to you. Uh, Moses is coming to the end of his uh, tour of duty as the leader of Israel. He is, in the next uh, few days, about to pass the baton of, 
of uh, leadership uh, over to Joshua. And it is Joshua that is going to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. They're, they're going to uh, go across the River Jordan. You'll recall, I think, that the Jordan um, uh, splits open and Israel walks through on dry, grand, uh, dry ground and they uh, finally enter the promised land. And their first battle there is Jericho, where Joshua leads Israel against Jericho. And I think you know the story there. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that this text is addressed to those people who are about to come out of the wilderness over into the promised land. And it says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving, giving you, upon entrance into that land, God's people are to follow this pattern for their giving. That is, ladies and gentlemen, if you have been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light, if you, have no, if you no longer trek around in a wilderness, if you are in God's promised land, this message is for you. This is a pattern of giving. Not my message, this message, the biblical one, Deuteronomy 26. This is designed, this is aimed, this is architected for the family of God. The second observation that I want you to see is uh, in verse 2 that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. Look with me also at verse 10, because it's mentioned there as well. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land uh, which you, O Lord, have given us. Now maybe the term first fruits is familiar to you. If you don't know what first fruits are, it's pretty simple. Um, I I've been to Israel and hope to go back, Lord willing, next year. Hope some of you will go. But um, uh, there's a lot of produce over there. There is There are wheat fields uh, uh, in the valley of Armageddon. They're, they're growing wheat over there, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of olive trees, banana trees. But the point is, when the harvest came, whatever the crop was, Israel was instructed that the first produce from that crop was to be set aside for God. That is, um, um, uh, the, the um, first a sheaf of wheat, or the first basket full of olives, or bananas, whatever it was, uh, uh, you're supposed to dedicate that, the, the first fruits to the Lord. He's not supposed to get that which was left over once the, har the laborers and the uh, harvesters had mopped up the organization. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't let them go through the field until you've got that first crop out. Don't do, you, you're supposed to give what, God what is right, not what is left. Gang, it's first fruits giving that God has in mind. Um, he is to be thought of first, not somewhere after Uncle Sam. I hope that will address the question that I get so frequently. Is my giving supposed to reflect uh, uh, net or gross? Gang, Uncle Sam does not get first fruits. God does. He demands it, and he's supposed to get that. Now, the third observation I want to make from the text is, again, found in verse 2, um, it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. Here it is. Which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. Look at verse 9. It's there, too. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Gang, gang, there is a mindset that the people of God are supposed to possess. The mindset is this, that whatever fruit I get, 
if it's bananas, if it's wheat, if it's olives, no matter what the fruit is, it comes from ground that God first gave me. I wouldn't have any olives if God hasn't first given me the ground to grow them on. Gang, um, uh, that very same truth is stated in another way in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where the language is this, that it is God that has given you the ability to make wealth. Are some of you making a good salary? I'm pleased as punch for you. A lot of you got all kinds of know-how and savvy when it comes to investment and internet stock trading. Good for you. I hope you're making a killing out there. Those of you who have a, a, a winsome, gifted personality that allows you to push a lot of real estate, good for you. I'm delighted that God has granted you that. But did you understand that first and foremost, your ability to make wealth was granted you first before any fruit came of it, that came from God. You got a lot of productivity in your life? Good. Do you understand that the ability to produce anything, the fact that your brain works, the fact that you think cogent thoughts, the fact that you can analyze, the fact that you can think sequentially, that personality that is so winsome when it comes to buying and selling. Ladies and gentlemen, that was something God gave you. That first fruit, that came from the ground that God gave us. Gang, your wealth is the result of God giving you abilities to make wealth. Do you understand that? That's a mindset that is reflected in this man who is being described here. The fourth observation, you'll notice in verse 2, that you take that, you put it in a basket, and you go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Gang, the point of all that is God chooses, not you, God chooses where those first fruits are to be taken. All of that giving, uh, God chooses where it's to go. Now, where would that be in this culture? they would take it to a place that's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle is just the temporary version of the temple. You know, when Israel was moving around a lot in that 40-year wilderness journey, they had a tent, and a tent moved around. It's called the sanctuary. It's called the tabernacle. Once they finally got into the promised land and defeated all their enemies, and David uh, established a Pax Israel, and then Solomon takes over, they build a permanent structure called the temple. But before that, it was a movable, temporary structure called a sanctuary, a, 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 a tent thing. And Israel would know that their giving was to be done at that place where God had chosen to make his name abide. The point being, guys, the choice as to where that giving is to go is not made by you. It is made by God. He says there is a place I've always had a place, and that place is to be the place where you take your giving. The fifth observation or lesson, and ladies and gentlemen, this is utterly key. I have to say that the most, uh, at least the most exciting point to me in all of 11 of them is this one. And to, to make it, I want to read to you again verses 4 through 10. Follow as I read. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the, Lord of the, uh, the altar of the Lord your God. 
and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God. My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord our God, our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked upon our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror, with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land which uh, flowing with milk and honey, and now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Do you see what this man is doing, ladies and gentlemen? He is reviewing his spiritual history. He thinks, oh my, I remember the time that my, my father, oh, he was a Syrian. Poor guy was about to starve. He was there living up there and there was that famine. And so they all moved down to Egypt where there's lots of food and Joseph had provided and so while we were down there, we, were, we started as a very tiny nation, but then we, we began uh, to multiply. We became a populous nation and a strong nation. Oh, but Egypt noticed that we were a strong nation, and Egypt began to persecute us, and laid heavy affliction on us. And we cried out to God. And what did God do? God delivered us, took us out of that bondage, and has now taken us to a land that flows with milk and honey. And in response to all of that, I brought, I brought the first friends. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that first and foremost, giving flows out of hearts that are so overtaken, so changed by the redemptive work of God in our lives. Gang, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what it was like to live as a, a pagan? Have you forgotten what forgiveness fe first felt like? Have you come to take all of those things for granted now? Have you grown accustomed to His grace? Is God's great redemptive work in your life no longer something that wows you? Is the fact that God has transferred you out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, does that no longer compel you? Is it not valuable to you? Oh, Jimmy, I'll tell you what's valuable to me. I want to raise my garage door, and I want to back out in there in a car that'll make all the neighbors envious. Oh, no, Jimmy, I'm not that. You would think that's what is important to us. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have forgotten redemption. Apparently. Because to not give is to say, yeah, 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 forgiveness, meaning in life, I'm on my way to heaven, yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't really turn my crank much. But I'll tell you what turns my crank. <laughs> Social enviability. Now that really turns my crank. Guys, here's a man who reflects, he remembers on the redemption that he's enjoyed by the God of all grace and says in response to that, in response to what God has done in my life, here, here, here. And once you forget that, then, um, then giving is no longer a joy. Gang, um, uh, I, I'm afraid 
that some of us are going to have to face the fact that being a Christian is just not that valuable. Because if I understand this fella, he is overtaken with what God has done in his life. And then says in verse 10, And now I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, Lord, have given me. Man, in response to what you did in my life. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the description of a giver. I gotta hurry. My sixth observation really is in 10b. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. My point is, ladies and gentlemen, that all of this, all of this which is which is uh, in, involves our giving, is to be viewed as an act of worship. The issue is not, do I give 10% or 5% or 25%? Do you realize that all 100% of it, ladies and gentlemen, is, is, is a result of God's blessing in your life? Has that humbled you? Has it humbled you with gratitude? Gang, people who are thankful find that their hearts are so blasted full that they're afraid they're going to burst if they don't give some of it away. And so they come with joy in, a, in an act of worship to give something to this great God of theirs. Observation number 7 in verse 11. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house and the Levite and the strangers among you, etc. My point is, ladies and gentlemen, the assumption is that this giving brings delight and joy. You know, there's really only one kind that, uh, that pleases the Father. And this whole thing called giving is to be, is to be like, like a celebration. Man! I'm celebrating God's goodness in my life. You know, we sing a song. I find myself, in fact, I, the reason I stuck it in here this morning is um, I find myself when I'm walking in my backyard and I'm enjoying just what being out there. I, find, I found myself doing this yesterday. I found myself singing, I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, once I find myself loving the kingdom of God, my giving is full of joy. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how are we supposed to be singing that? I love my... Well, that's what our giving looks like, apparently, in the lives of some. Well, guys, my eighth observation is found in, in verse uh, 12. Um, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year. You know, people ask me, well, Jimmy, where do we start? You know, I had a lunch with a man this week. In fact, it, it's amazing how many conversations I've been in in the last two weeks concerning the issue of giving. I, I guess that's at least one thing that God is doing among us. But he looked across a, a pizza at me and he said, you know what, Jimmy? I've never heard the word before. I don't have the slightest idea even what it means. I said, well, let me tell you what it means. I think we probably know, but the word tithe simply means a tenth. But gang, may I say, a tenth is a good place to start, but it certainly ought not be the place where you and I finish. No, no. As God continues to enrich us, we need to move way beyond that. But you know, gang, the first time you see the word tithe, 
It comes in Genesis 14 when Abraham is in that incident with Melchizedek. And he says, I'm going to give you a tithe of everything I've got. Um, and then we sit later in Genesis 28, coming out of the mouth of Jacob. My, my point in, in all that is simply to tell you this. That is 400 years before the Ten Commandments. Those men aren't responding to command. They're not giving because they've been commanded to, like we are. They're giving because they get the opportunity and the privilege to do so. I am so grateful for the deliverance that you've given me, Melchizedek. What's this? Jacob says, I'm so grateful, oh God, that you've done this. I want to give. Gang, is there any modicum of that spirit in us? Um, you know, I, I, um, I, I think doing one's duty is, is very applaudable. But the picture that you get in the Bible of givers is people who are excited about the privilege. Where has that gone among us? Um, a ninth observation. I want you to notice in, in verses 12 and 13, uh, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe, and then look at verse 13, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. Gang, um, you see what, the, what, what he's saying? I, I've, I've, I've set that aside. I've laid it aside. That thing is holy. I wouldn't dare touch it because that, that, belongs to God. Now, gang, here's a man who understands that there's something that he just gave away that really wasn't his in the first place. He would not dream of touching it for, for me to use that. Look, look what he says in, in, um, in the, the, the rest of verse 13. Uh, and also have given them to the Levite. The, uh, I have not transgressed your commandments. I haven't touched it when in mourning. I haven't removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I hadn't touched it because that's yours. And for me to use something that is not mine, the Bible has a name for that. The Bible calls it stealing. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that the Bible uses that word elsewhere. Uh, not that word, the concept. In Malachi chapter 3, I, I invite you to check it out this, this afternoon. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, Will a man rob God? And then, and then as if somebody antiphonally is, is responding, they say, oh, 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 wait a minute. I've never robbed God. No, sir, not me. I wouldn't dream of taking what's on with God. I'm not stealing from the temple now, Jimmy. You ought not call me a, a, a robber. I'm not doing that. Oh, not me. And he says, how, can, how have we robbed God? And God replies, in tithes and offerings, gang, you need to come face to face with this. To touch that thing which is holy which is holy and is God's. To use that. That means you're a thief. You're using something that doesn't belong to you. Real hurriedly. Uh, my, my tenth observation is in verses 13 and 14. Did you notice that he says, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, etc., etc. 
the, the point simply is that giving is not optional, ladies and gentlemen. It's a command. Um, you know, I'm a parent, you know, like many of you, and, and I want my children to obey me. And when they obey and they're not happy about it, uh, that doesn't bring me a whole lot of joy, but I still want them to obey. But when there's a glad-hearted obedience, that is delightful, is it not? As a, wouldn't you agree as a parent? But gang, whether I can glad-hearted or not, I'm supposed to obey. It's still a command. And then finally, my last observation is in verse 15. And I, and I hope you see this like I do. I, I think this is what... Let me read it to you, verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. It seems like he's gone through all of this. Lord, I've separated that tithe. I took it out. I have not touched it. I've obeyed your commands. I've not misused it. I haven't given it here, 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 or here. I've done exactly what, you, what you've asked me to do. And now in response to all of that, Lord, I still understand and he looks into heaven and he says, Lord, I still understand that all of this, look from your holy habitation, O God. Look and smile on this land that you gave us because ultimately, all of this is still a matter of trusting you. If I ever please you in the slightest, it will be because as it grows out of something that my, a heart of trust has spawned. Oh God, we'll go on doing what we commanded, but you must continue to stay close to us. It's all, ladies and gentlemen, all of this is a derivative. It's a subset of faith, of trust that this God will go on keeping his eye fixed upon us. I want to close by telling you a story, and, and I told it at the congregational meeting, and uh, but many of you weren't at the congregational meeting, and so I'm going to tell it again. Um, this didn't happen to me. I would love to believe. I would love to have had it happen to me, but it didn't happen to me. It happened to a, another pastor, and, and um, uh, let me tell you what happened. Uh, his men's ministry had gone from their home church over to Washington, D.C. This is 1997, in that million men march thing that they had over there in Washington, uh, promise keepers that put on, remember? Some of you went, perhaps. And um, this church had sent their men's ministry over to that, and they had then come back to their home church, and they were having a Sunday night service where these men were giving their testimonies as to what was stimulating about the million man march in, in, in Washington, D.C., and um, they, they, there was like four or five of them, and I listened to all of them, and very frankly, wasn't that moved by any of them except the last one. And this is what happened. The last man who spoke, uh, and, and, and you can, it's on tape, it's on uh, audio tape, but you can hear the pastor. He's apparently got a microphone standing right next to the guy as the guy's speaking. So they're, they're almost shoulder to shoulder, or very close, and the man um, looks at his pastor, and uh, he says this, Pastor... Um, we, we appreciate your leadership and, and, and how uh, you continue to prompt us to try and reach the world for Jesus Christ. And while we were in Washington, um, uh, Coach McCartney, you know, the founder of Promise Keepers, Coach McCartney said to us that we should go back to our home churches and that we should, we should look at our, our, our pastors and say, Pastor, how high, how far, how much? And he said, and Pastor, we've been so grateful. And, 
and, and we've been so grateful for all that you, you've uh, mended in our lives before. And so I, I, I've come this night to say to you, and before he could get the words out of his mouth, ladies and gentlemen, you could begin to hear the rustle in the crowd. Oh, and oh, and you could hear, and, and, and before he could even say it, that there was this, this detectable noise that was coming from the listeners. And he looked at his pastor and he said, Pastor, the only thing I can say to you is this. How high, how far, and how much? And the place erupted. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you ought not ask me that. I'm not worth it. you ought to ask God that. How high? How far? How much? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm through apologizing. I'm through apologizing and asking you to give. Because ladies and gentlemen, it is not me who has demanded of us that we reach the world for Jesus Christ. And if you want to know how much, here's the answer. All of it. All of it. Think about that. Our Father, we do indeed, as a group of people, ask you how high, how far, how much. And we ask that you will take our, um, our responses and use them to build something so blasting beautiful. Not a, not a building, but a people. A people who are so mindful that we were pagans one day and you brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and you made us residents of a kingdom of light. Might we never forget, oh God, all of the marvelous things that forgiveness means to us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will work in your people a heart just like the one that we saw in Deuteronomy 26. A man who understands who he is and how he got there. And then in response, he gives gladly, willingly, worshipfully, obediently. Might that characterize every family that is a part of Grace Evangelical Church, not because we want to build a building, but because we want to worship God and we want others to worship Him as well. Now, Father, by the power of the Holy Ghost, impress Your Word on our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name.